All right, turning your Bibles to James chapter 5. Let me just remind you, uh, some of you keep a better, um, a, a better record of this than even I do, but uh, I was thinking about it this morning, I was like, man, I haven't preached since Father's Day. Woo! Two Sundays. So, man, buckle your seatbelt, sit back, relax. It's going to be a while, okay? I've got some things pent up that, uh, that we got to talk about. But we're finishing the book of James this morning, which, uh, which I've loved the book of James. Haven't you enjoyed the book of James? It's been good. Um, enjoy might be a stretch for some of us, because I don't know about you, but the book of James is just challenging. Um, don't forget the aim of James has really been, James is trying to stir in this church and these believers, what? Somebody give me the one word, the theme of it. Maturity. Exactly, right? Maturity. He's trying to get the church to grow up a little bit, right? To grow up a little bit, to stop focusing on, on, on this and that, and let's focus on the essential things. And so James, which, which um, he's kind of nicknamed uh, Jesus' bold little brother, right? Jesus' bold little brother. He comes, he comes and kind of gives the church uh, a, a, couple, a couple jabs, a couple right hooks, and says, look, man, cut this stuff out. Expect this. Do this. Don't do this. And he ends it, he ends it with two things that we're going to talk about today. The first is prayer. Prayer. And the second is that he reminds them in the last two verses of the mission of Jesus. And so I want to talk about those two things for the next few moments. And, uh, and, and then we'll, um, we'll be done with the book of James. And, um, and that'll be that. Sound good? James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Underline, save, highlight that. We're going to spend some time on that in just a few moments. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, see, some of y'all are praying right now that it wouldn't rain in Maine. And y'all need to cut that prayer out, okay, because we need some rain, all right? Some of y'all are trying to channel your inner Elijah, all right? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. This is a huge verse. This is a huge verse for the church of 2022. It's a huge verse because what James is demonstrating here to the church and this time and what we can take from it today, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed and God listened and God heard and God moved. That's encouraging for you this morning, church. Elijah was a man with a nature like yours, and he prayed, and God heard, and God moved. And so if we prayed, God will hear, and God will move. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Don't get too excited. I told y'all, buckle your seatbelt. And for three years, six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
Jesus begins this section, excuse me, not Jesus, James begins this section, Jesus' bold little brother begins this section, his closing, with a simple question. Are any of you suffering? Are any of you in trouble? And he tells us, if you are, then pray. And if you pray in faith, he tells us what the result will be. At least three different kinds of prayer are found in this passage. Now, let's talk about prayer for just a moment, just so that we're all on the same page, okay? I love to define prayer as constant communion with God. Constant communion with God. Not necessarily constant communication with God. That's a lot of times what we think about when we think about prayer, right? Is this constant communication that I've always got to be talking to God or with God, right? But in communion implies a fellowship. Communion implies, implies that, 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 that I know in my living and I demonstrate with my life because of my prayer life who's in control. See, I think that is the biggest purpose of prayer for the church today is to remind us who's in control. That I'm not... And he is. Because when I pray and I turn things over to God, I'm reminding myself, Travis is not in control here. God is. I'm reminding myself, I really don't have an impact over the outcome of this. God, you do. And so I would love for you to tune in to what's happening here, as if he's not, right? I would love, you know, in case you haven't noticed, there's some things happening here, God, and I would love for you to tune in and, and kind of correct this or, or fix this, and, and, and either he corrects it and fixes it, or he correct and fixes me. That's what happens in prayer, right? Um, and so, and so, Prayer is this constant communion with God. A couple, couple uh, uh, my favorite quotes on prayer, I, I shared one of them a few weeks ago. Um, I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go five minutes without praying. Love that. Love that. Because a lot of, a lot of people approach prayer, um, I don't have time to pray. Oh, no, you've got time to pray, right? I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go five minutes without praying. God, and my, my prayers, a lot of times church just, just look like a run-on sentence, especially when I'm running. I was running in Florida a couple weeks ago, which is dumb. <laughs> Not the running part, but the running in June in Florida part is dumb. That's how far your pastors come, okay? Um, but I, I, was, I was running in Florida and, and um, one morning and, and, and just, just felt the urge to, to just pray and just, just pour my, my heart out um, to God. And, 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 and as, I was, as I was praying, I was, just, I was just reminded, I was just reminded as I was praying of how in control He is. And, and so as I was praying, I, I think I was running like five miles or something, and and as, as I was praying, like I would say a couple of lines and then kind of black out for a little bit as I was running because of the heat and just reminding myself to breathe. And so 30 seconds, 45 seconds later, I'd pick up and it just, it probably sounded, if, if, I, if I could have it documented, it would probably be like this really messed up, all over the place, schizophrenic, David-like in the Psalms prayer, okay? Um, 
but I, I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go up five minutes without praying. The second quote, we've already, I've already said it at least twice this morning, God meets us at the level of our expectation. And I love that. And some of you are like, well, how's that a prayer quote? Because again, I would ask you, who's in charge? When we walk into this room, who's in control? God will meet you at the level of your expectation. Are you walking into this room expecting, oh, this is just another Sunday, I'm checking a box? Are you walking into this room saying, we're going to open God's Word today, we're going to hear from the Lord, and I believe He's got something special just in store for me, and I can't wait to see what it is, and I can't wait to chew on it this afternoon while I'm watching golf. I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait for the gathering of believers believers that Jesus died for, God's gift to me through Christ, called the church, that I still get to experience Him through today. That's church. That ought to be our approach in coming in here. And you know the beauty of God, the nature of who God is, that He is so individual that Chris is going to get something completely different out of today's message than Janice. But God knows what's going on in Jan's life and knows what's going on in Chris's life and knows what each one of them needs. And so they're going to hear something. And they, they may come up to me at the end of the message and say, Pastor Travis, thank you so much for saying this. I got this, this, and this. And I'm like, you got that out of this? Like, whoa, God must be real. Because he's so personal. He's so individual that he wants to bless and meet each and every one of you where you are at the level of your expectation and walking into church this morning. Isn't that awesome? Like, I don't know about you, but I just think, I, the more I get to know this God and how individual and personal He is and how much He's for me, I love Him all the more. Give me more. Give me more. In this passage, we see three different kinds of prayer. Book of verse 13, if, if anyone is among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. We see that we are to pray for ourselves. That we are to pray for ourselves. Growing up in the church, I was taught in Sunday school class that if you, if you asked for prayer for yourself, if you prayed for yourself, it was, a, it was a form of pride and arrogance. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. For years, I was scared to ask for prayer requests for myself or for my family because I thought it was prideful. I thought it was arrogant, and, 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 and I didn't want to be that. But that's a lie. I mean, even Jesus in John 17 prays for himself on his way to the cross. And so Jesus did it. We can, right? And, and, and here we see it in James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Secondly, verses 14 and 15. Let's read them first, then I'll give you the point. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We are to call for the leaders, elders of the church to pray. So one of the biggest jobs of a leader in a church is to pray for the flock. It's to pray for you. Our elders in, in the church, one of our biggest responsibilities is to pray for you. Is to, is to seek God on your behalf and what he is doing in and through you and what we need to do as a body of Christ to minister to you and be your leaders. And so we're to call on the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, to pray. Thirdly, 
Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Nope, pastor, I'm out. I'm out. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, what that doesn't say, okay, hear me, hear me. I know we're not this type of church, but there's these type of churches out there, and so we just got to be guarded and we got to know, right? That does not say confess your sins to one another so that that person can go and share your junk with everybody that they know. Right? That's not what that verse says. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I know for a fact that there are people in this room that struggle sharing prayer requests, that struggle sharing where they're at, that struggle being real in the body of Christ for fear of what other people would do with that information. And can I tell you that we are so, if that, if that is the truth, and I believe it is, we are so far from what God intended the church to be. This place is to be a place where we can come and bear our hearts in vulnerability. Our fears, our insecurities, our struggles, our sins, the places where we have failed and messed up and made poor decisions, the places where we've made great decisions, the places where, where, where all of these things have happened, where we can come and share life, all of it, unfiltered, unmasked, and be prayed for and supported. That's why Jesus died for this thing. That we could be free to walk together, to live together, to do life together. If, if anyone among you, right? Verse 16, read it one more time. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So that covers the who. Who is supposed to pray? Now, I want to talk about when to pray, okay? Four, four separate times James calls us to prayer here. Everybody okay? All right, good. Just making sure. Take a deep breath. Whew. All right, here we go. When to pray, all right? Pray it four different times. Number one, we pray when we're suffering or in trouble. We pray when we're suffering or in trouble. Again, he asked the question, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Now, what James is asking here is not just are you in trouble, but are you in great trouble and are you suffering as a result? It's the difference between saying that there's a hurricane right out in the Gulf and there's a hurricane in my backyard. Right? There, there, there's the difference there. Right? So when we pray when we're in trouble, but don't be surprised when we're in trouble because he covered that in James chapter 1. Uh, don't... Uh, um, 
persevere when, when you encounter various trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces endurance. So again, he's, he's aiming at maturity. He's saying, don't be surprised when you're in trouble, but pray when you're in trouble. First Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be surprised at a painful trial you're suffering as though something strange is happening to you. Happening to you. We know life is a painful trial that we're, that, 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 that we're, that's never easy. We know life We know life is never easy, and James is reminding us that instead of allowing life to make us resentful or discouraged or bitter, that we should allow them to make us better. And so when life is more than you can handle, pray. When life is more than you think you can handle, pray. Let me ask you, over the last three years, has life ever felt like it was more than you could handle? I'm seeing a lot of nods and I'm hearing a lot of gasps, right? That's real. Pray. 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 Second time that we should pray. We should pray, we should offer praise when we have success. Now, I love success. I like winning. There's, there's no point in playing the game if you're not going to try to win, right? Come on now. I know there's some winners in the room and you're like, yes, right? Yes, right? I love winning. I don't care. Well, let's just keep going, okay? But let's look at the second part of verse 13. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise. Praise. If he is, let him sing songs of praise. And here's the reality. Let me, let, me give you, let, me give you, uh, let me give you a little bit of truth this morning. Every single one of us in here has numerous things to be thankful and cheerful about today. Come on now. We got numerous things to be thankful for and cheerful. As dark as the day is, we have numerous things to be thankful and cheerful for. Come on. Man, we just do. We do. Each and every one of us has numerous things to be thankful for, many things to be happy about. And James is reminding us that all of us, at one time or another, have something to give praise for. Now listen, we, we sang two praise songs this morning that were pretty upbeat, didn't we? And I know something that you may not think I know. I'm going to tell you right now. I know some of you don't sing. <gasps> don't raise your hand. You just outed yourself. Man. <laughs> I know some of you don't sing. And I know there's different reasons that you don't sing. Some of you don't sing, like me, at times when I'm really close to someone that can sing, like when I'm standing down here and I'm next to Dave Champa, right? Some of you don't sing because you don't think you know how to sing, right? The joke I always say is, I don't sing because we want you to come back to church, right? Some of you don't sing because you think everyone else is a better singer and you're just, you know, letting them have their moment. It's not your thing, Right? Some of you don't sing because you're daydreaming. 
You're thinking about your tea time. You're thinking about your lunch plans. You're thinking about this. You're thinking about that. Some of you are just singing. Some of you are singing because you just don't know the song. And it's not the right song. It's not your song. But when we broke into your song, man, it'd be, you'd be singing every lyric, right? Or you'd have the fan in one hand and the other hand, right? Some of you aren't singing on Sunday morning because you only like country music. Now that one was a joke. Okay, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me just share with you the point of what I'm getting at this morning. And this is not true for every song because some of you don't sing because you're reflecting on the lyrics and you're thinking, man, God has really done great things in my life. But when we don't sing, we're missing what worship is really about. When we don't even give it an effort, ever, okay, I'm, and I'm saying ever, then we're missing what this part of the worship service is really about. See, a lot of people think we do the songs up here as a warm-up for the message, right? It's, it's, it's to warm you up, it's to, you know, kind of prime you a little bit for the message, give you some entertainment with our music, and then you're ready to sit and listen to the message. No, 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 no. From the time that Ian stands up here and prays to open the service and prays over our offering, which is a form of worship, when we give back to God out of what he's given to us, from the moment that we open in prayer to the moment that I close in prayer and say, and everybody said, amen, I love you guys, I pray you have an awesome week. It's all worship. It's all worship. And so when we don't sing at all, when we just view the opening songs as, as, as the preface for the message, we're missing part of what this whole thing's about. Paul and Silas were arrested and thrown in jail in the book of Acts. You know what they did when they were thrown in jail? They sang. The, the disciples in the upper room had the last supper with Jesus. And after they shared in communion, you know what they did? We talk about it all the time. Every time we have communion, they sang together. They sang together. Now, chances are they didn't sing Blessed Be Your Name. Because that was written a few years later. Right? But they sang together. And the fact that they sang, instead of getting depressed, had an incredible impact on their inmates talking about Paul and Silas. When we sing, it's hard to think about our troubles at the same time. It, take our, it takes our focus off. Right? It takes our focus off. His eye is on the sparrow. It is well. And when you think about what that author was going through when he wrote that, the pits of everything, losing a son, writing, it is well with my soul, turning our attention back to the Glory of who God is. It shifts our focus from our troubles back to God when we sing. Third, third time we pray. Verses 14, 15. Okay, we got, we got to deal with a big lie in this one. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Notice it says save. Not, not necessarily heal. Save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. We pray when we are sick. Every one of us has no doubt experienced God's healing at some time in our life. 
one way or another. You've been healed. A family member has been healed. The doctors couldn't understand why they were able to live so long. No one could explain it, but a healing took place. God did it. And we all know, chances are, we figure or we think that God is able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And James' focus here is on what the church can do when we pray in the name of the Lord. James' focus here is what the church can do when the focus is not on a few people within the church, but on the God of the church. He is focused on what a Bible-believing church could and should do when someone's sick. We should pray that God will raise them up. Now, I just read the book of Job. It was fun. Real encouraging. I just finished it yesterday. We cannot be like Job's friends in the book of Job. We can't be that. Some of y'all, some of y'all are like, yeah, I know. Some of y'all are like, well, what Job's friends do? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what Job's friends did. Job lost everything. Job lost everything. I mean, I mean, and when I say he lost everything, everything. You think you're having a bad day, go read the book of Job, just the first like three or four chapters. And not because of anything he did bad, but because he was so righteous, these things happened to him. Which kind of makes you think twice about being a good Christian, right? Okay? And, and, and all through the book of Job, we see these, this conversation break out between Job and his friends. And his friends at one point are saying, Job, what have you done to inflict all of this pain on yourself? What have you done? If you would just repent of what you've done wrong, God would heal you. This would not have happened to you. This happens often. We've got some friends from the disability community here, Doug and Liz. Doug and Liz are two of the smartest people I know right there. Um, just phenomenal people. They're going to do a training for our disability ministry this afternoon. Why don't you all wave your hand? Wave them like you just don't care, Doug. Okay? All right. To the smartest people I know, listening to Doug is like drinking from a fire hydrant. So much knowledge, wisdom, and information. Um, it's phenomenal, and our people today are going to be blessed beyond belief by having them here. But this happens often in the disability community. Your son or daughter's disabled because of a sin you committed. It's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Your, your, your daughter broke their arm because your parents got in a fight. No. No. And Job's friends, left and right, are saying, you must have done something wrong, Job, for your wife to leave you, for your kids, all these things, all these things that happen to you, you must have done something wrong. That's a lie. Don't be like Job's friends. Don't be like Job's friends. Because that's not necessarily the truth. So, we should pray that God will raise them up, not say, hey, what sin do you need to repent of so that God will heal you? And so he gives us four steps in the process of praying for the sick. Number one, a sick person calls on the elders and leaders. Now, this, this is huge because you've got to admit that you have a need. Come on. You've got to admit that you have a need. I know some of you are like me. 
you're sick, you just want to crawl into a hole, get over yourself, and then, you know, in five days or so, I'll see you soon, right? But some of us need to bury the pride and say, no, you know what? I need some people to come and pray for me. I need some people to come and pray for me. And so, and so James, James says, if anyone among you is sick, call on the leaders of the church. And the New Testament word for sick is very broad. It can mean any kind of sickness, physical, a cold, cancer, broken arm, COVID, all those things. It can mean mental, depression. It can mean emotional, that you're grieving. It can mean spiritual, that you're out of step with the Lord. That word sick is broad. It covers all of those things, right? And so this word is much broader than we usually think of it. It's referring to any kind of sickness that has just become too much for someone to bear. You ever been there? Now, let's deal with this, because some people are like, well, why do I have to call the leaders of the church? The leaders of the church are called for two reasons. Number one, they represent the church. Right? They represent the church. Number two, number two, and this is huge, and probably overlooked from time to time in leadership in the church, because we just look at who we think people will follow more than necessarily their qualifications from time to time. Hmm. That was big. And no, I'm not being mean. I can talk about them because I is one. But the leaders of the church are called for two reasons. Number one, they represent the church. Number two, they should know how to pray. Right? Like, like that, ought to, that ought to be a pretty big qualification. Like, they should know how to pray. If you're a leader within the church, if you're a leader within the body of Christ, if you don't know anything else, you ought to know how to pray. If they don't, then they have no business leading. Step number two, the elders, leaders of the church go to the sick person. Now, I want you to see something here. Plural. They go together. They go together. There's strength in numbers. There's comfort in numbers. And by going in person, we also communicate to that person that we are sincere. That we're sincere. It says that we really care. Now, this is where this gets weird. So bear with me for just a little bit. All right? This is where this gets awkward. All right? The leaders are to pray and anoint with oil. James tells us that when the leaders show up to anoint the sick person with oil, the word literally means to rub oil on them. Most likely it was olive oil because olive oil in the scriptures were used for several, several reasons. If an animal was wounded, they were anointed with oil to soothe the pain and to help cure the wound. And so now you're thinking, okay, Pastor Travis, you're, you're thinking I'm an animal. No. Psalm 23, 5, David said, you anoint my head with oil. You know the significance of that? The reason David would anoint, or the reason shepherds would anoint their sheep with oil was that the oil gave off an aroma that would keep the bugs away from their face from, and, and stop the, 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 the flies and all, the, all, all of the flying bugs that we know and love and hate in, in, in Maine, right? The oil would keep those away from the sheep. And so the shepherd was always rubbing oil on the head, and that was the significance of that. Number two, people used it for cosmetic reasons. Uh, Psalm 104.15 says that God gives us oil to make a man or woman's face shine. Appearance. 
Number three, leaders were anointed if they were being placed in office. Priests and prophets were referred to as anointed ones. And oil, this is why this is important, was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so James is saying that, that when we use it, when we pray, when we use oil, when we pray for someone, and, and that what, when we do, we always pray in the name of Jesus, it's a reminder to us that it's not the elder, it's not the pastor, it's not the leader, it's not the oil, it's not the church that heals, it's Jesus. And so the oil is not this awkward, weird thing. It's a reminder that you need Jesus more than you need me. You need Jesus more than you need those leaders of the church. You need Jesus more than anything if you want healing. Okay, and then step four, look at verse 15 one more time. The prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Healing comes. Now, healing may come in a change of perspective, not a change of condition. Healing may come in the form of a change of perspective, not a change of condition. And the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Jesus refers to this as the prayer offered in faith. It's mentioned one time in the Bible, which is right here in the book of James. Now, the text doesn't say anything about how the healing will take place. And for all you medical folks in the room, it doesn't rule out medical care. Healing is healing, right? I mean, God is in charge of all healing. I believe the scripture teaches that healing comes through these two avenues, prayer and medicine. Whether quickly or slowly, whether by miracle or by medicine or by some combination of the two, God is able to heal his children. God needs nothing to heal us. So we may ask, well then why does he use medicine? Why does he use doctors? It's because he chooses to involve us in the process. In the Bible, many times, we see that for healing to take place, people did nothing. A woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, was healed. He told the man who was paralyzed to get up and walk. The blind man to wash his eyes in the pool. When he brought Lazarus back from the dead, he told them to take away the stone. The dead man came out with his, uh, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. God chooses to use his people. And so lastly, the last thing, the last uh, time that we pray is we pray for forgiveness. We pray for forgiveness. <clears throat> the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. We can't look at this passage or any passage about prayer for that matter without seeing the connection between the physical and the spiritual. We can't help but notice that it is entirely possible that someone's physical illness right, is, 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 effect, is affecting them, right? The psalmist David here, we see that he, um, that, that he wept silent and his bones wasted away through his groaning all day long. And so he asked for forgiveness. 
He asked for forgiveness. If there's sin in your life that's standing between you and God, James is saying, pray that God will forgive you. And he says, confess it to one another. Confess it to one another. Again, be real. Be vulnerable. Confess it to one another. We pray for forgiveness. So, to me, this passage reminds me of three things. To me, this passage reminds me of three things. Number one, never hesitate to pray. Never hesitate to pray. Some of you may be sitting, and, 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 and we've talked about this before. Uh, years ago, um, I taught on the Lord's Prayer for weeks. We did, we did a whole series for weeks on, on the Lord's Prayer, how to pray. Let me simplify it down for you. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, man, pastor, that's, that's great. Never hesitate to pray. How do I pray? I want you to think about how you talk to the closest person in your life to you. Do that to God. Do that to God. So, so many times people overthink prayer, right? I've got to start it with dear God, dear Heavenly Father, dear Jesus, right? So, some people say, hey God. Well, I was in college and I went to this college group and, and this guy started just, just right out of the blue. Everybody's talking and all of a sudden this guy stands up and he just says, hey God, and starts praying. And I'm like, whoa, he didn't start that right. <laughs> God's not going to hear that prayer. But that's how, we, that's how we talk to God. I, I, I once was praying, praying with somebody and they said, hey, Dad. Hey, Daddy. That's how they addressed their Heavenly Father. That's how they opened. And then they would just start talking. Just start talking. And like any other relationship, the more that you talk to him, the easier it gets. The easier it gets. The easier it gets to be real. Never hesitate to pray. And if you're sitting this morning and say, Travis, how do I pray? Try this afternoon. Just say, God, and then start talking. Whatever comes to your heart, whatever comes to your mind, God, I need you. God, I don't know what to do here. We should never think, well, I don't know how to pray or whether I should pray or not. We should never think, I don't know if my prayers will help. Maybe someone else should pray. I don't know if I'm spiritual enough. Never hesitate to pray. Number two, pray with intensity. Pray with intensity. The Bible says that David in the Psalms would cry out to God seven times a day. Oh, I would have loved to have been around for some of those. I would have loved to have been around for some of those. I'm sure his eyes weren't closed every time he did that. I'm sure his hands weren't folded every time he did that. 
I'm sure sometimes he was on his knees banging the ground, crying out to God for wisdom, for understanding, for meaning, for clarity, for purpose, for direction. It's okay to approach God just as you are. He can handle it. Pray with intensity. When Jesus prayed in the garden the evening before he was crucified, he prayed so intensely that, sweat, that he sweat drops of blood. That's when you really know you're praying. Pray intently with intensity. And then number three, pray submissively. Realize that God's understanding of the situation is much better than ours. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just because we believe that physical healing is best for someone doesn't mean that God agrees with us. I prayed for my brother's healing for years. Do I believe God could have done it? Sure, still can. But I believe God's accomplishing his will so much more through my brother's wheelchair and his disability than he ever could through his ability. That took me about 19 years to get to. So I'm not super spiritual where I just, man, got that, right? That took me a while. And I'm not sure, okay. But James closes with the words of the prophet Elijah, which we already talked about a little bit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. He prayed fervently. He didn't just, that wasn't a one and done prayer. He prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. And God heard him, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The worship team is going to come, and I want to close with the last two verses of James. Because I think they're so important. I mean, he spends verses 13 through 18 talking about prayer. An incredible spiritual discipline in the Christian's life. Before someone comes up to you and talks about anybody negatively, you should ask them if they prayed for that person. Because it's hard to talk negatively about somebody if you're praying for them. If you've got a conflict with somebody, before you let that conflict stew anymore, you should ask them, hey, can we pray together? We can, can we pray together? Because God can just tear wall after wall after wall down if you pray with somebody. Because all of a sudden the focus turns to God and not on you or that other person, which is awesome. It's so cool. But then James ends with something that really <clears throat> doesn't connect with what he's writing about in 13 through, through 18. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. What James is doing here at the end of his letter on maturity is he's reminding his readers of the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And so my question for you this morning is, are you on the hunt for wonders? In our prayer lives, who's, who's, who's running the show? Are we running the show and, and giving God our agenda and saying, okay, God, here's how you could fix this situation in this person's life. Here how, here's how you could fix this situation. Here's how you could help my pastor, right? Here's how you could help my church. Here's what you could do here. Here's what you could do there. Let me know. Call me back when you've got all that worked out, God. I'll be right here waiting for your next instructions, right? Instead of coming to God submissively and saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you're in control here. God, if you don't do it this way, or you don't do it my way, give me a peace with how you choose to do it. But he reminds them of the mission of Jesus. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Church, that is our mission. Our mission is to not push an agenda, especially on social media. Our mission is to not get bogged down by things that don't matter for eternity. I've been so convicted over these last couple weeks as I've had conversations with brothers in ministry on a retreat in Florida as I've had conversations processing with my wife over the last uh, three years of, 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 what, of what's happened in the church. And I look around and I see a group of people that are so scattered when it comes to mission. Our mission is that people are dying and going to hell without a Savior, without a knowledge of a Savior. And yet we're more concerned about this or that instead of telling them about Jesus. And so my desire for your prayer life is that you would see that life is so much more than about you. And that people need the Jesus you claim to have. I believe the letter of James is a call back to basic Christianity. Expect suffering. Expect trial. Let your actions match your words. Don't show favoritism. All these things we've talked about. Honor God with your money. Honor God with your finances. Rejoice in suffering like Dylan talked about last Sunday. Pray because God's in control of it all. And don't forget the mission that Jesus died for. To seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. So God, today, we come to you with the recognition you're in control. And God, I pray on behalf of every person in here, 
even those who are fighting you right now in this moment. I pray for forgiveness for places where we've lost focus, where we've tried to take control, where we've tried to take reins, where we've tried to do it ourselves, where we've tried to be the puppet master. But God, that is not what a life with you, a relationship with you is about. And so God, I pray this morning for surrender. God, I pray that we would lay it down. And God, I pray for a reminder of why we're here and why you came to seek and save those who are lost. And God, we're going to stand and sing in a moment. And we're going to stand and sing. Greater things are still to come. Greater things have yet to be done. And this is like a theme song of this church. It's the, we, we, we sang this song the first Sunday this church was in existence. Because God, we believe. We believe you're not done. We believe that there are greater things to come. We believe that the church's best days are ahead of her. And so I pray that we would get out of our own way. And look to you, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. That your name be made great. That your glory would be what's worshipped here and seen here. That we would see things and do things and accomplish things that could not be explained by human strength or power or understanding. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Call us to you daily, moment by moment, need by need. In Jesus' name I pray.